the motorcycles and misfits. Who? Coming to you from the cycle garage. Where? In Santa Cruz, California. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I've dropped the sunny. We've given up. And I'm, I'm not going to comment or complain about the weather here because no one else wants to hear us complain. Well, I made, I will just I say made it this week. The You made it. You're, yeah, Monterey is not an island. We are all safe. John, do you have power this week? I have power. Hey, it's a good day. And I only found two leaks in my house. So we're good. We're all good. We're getting by. We're going to get through this. There, we're done with the weather. How's that? Hey, everyone. This is Eliza. <laughs> Um, Here on the Weather Channel. Yeah. Joining me in the the studio tonight, Stumpy John. What's up, everybody? Welcome to uh, welcome to our world. Hi. That, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Liza says I'm talking too low. Speak up, Johnny. <laughs> All right, John Mac. Let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah, Johnny Mac, that was for you. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that was the famous cackle. Of Miss Emma. Hello, darlings. It is I, Miss Emma, on the classic girl couch, in person. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. And that's it. Um, yeah, there we are. Tra la la. Yeah. Jim is somewhere AWOL. AWOL. down south. I'm yeah, not he's... sure where Craig is. Bagel's coming late. Uh, we're, but hey, we're here. We're here. We're here. Yeah. And we got stuff to talk about. Um, um going back to the weather. Yeah. So. Ugh. We oh, are, bloody, no wait. We are getting walloped by the storm and um atmospheric river. We had starling. to we had to postpone yes. our rally. It was supposed to be next weekend. There's no we knew there was no way it's gonna happen. And unfortunately, Hollister Hills, where we were having the gonna have the event, uh, we've postponed it to April, um, the third weekend of April. We're not sure we're gonna be able to do it by then. Hollister Hills got hit so hard. There were rivers where rivers didn't exist. There are culverts where across roads that didn't exist. It's um, it's going to make dirt biking more exciting. That's for sure. It's definitely a hard enduro track now. It's it's like one of them. uh, It reminds me of uh, the Dukes of Hazard jumps we're going to have to do. You know, but um, just to get to keep keep on going down the road. So stay tuned. We are still scrambling to find out if our rally will be next month. We're not sure because there's just so much storm damage here, and we're not done. So hang tight on that. Another quick announcement. Da-da-da-da-da. The new T-shirts have been ordered. All right. I can't wait. Yeah. So. It's the same as the sticker you gave me, right? No. Oh, it's a different one. Oh, yeah. Wow. Wait, everybody sees our stickers, too. Oh, yeah. We got new stickers, too. That, it's, that's Yeah. Those go out with every T-shirt. If you want a new T-shirt. Our new design. These are going out as Patreon rewards. So all of our Patreon subscribers at five dollars or more, they get a free T-shirt. It's that simple. Is Does there somebody- any other way to get a T-shirt? These are all going to our Patreon uh, as a Patreon reward. Once all of those have been claimed, yes, which it's not too late. Yes, um, so people can still join Patreon and get a shirt. Yep, I think we're going to be going through April. Right. So through April, you can still join a, and and claim a shirt. But if some of the sizes get um, sold out, then they're, they're so you get less size to choose from. Sorry, John. I think the point I'm trying to make is not only do you get a shirt by wearing the shirt, mm. 
it speaks volumes about your benevolence for supporting your favorite you motorcycle podcast yep. because you're immediately branded as a Patreon subscriber. Oh, yes, I see. You really do want these, everybody. Yeah, that's yeah so design. join right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. $5 a month, right? $5 or more, exactly. Wow. So you're getting basically, yeah, it's basically covering the cost of the t-shirt and yeah, then a little extra money for us. So, <laughs> um, yeah. la la Oh, and by the way, it's a new t-shirt every year. Oh. Not one time. I know some podcasts like, hey, if you give us 20 bucks a month, we'll give you a shirt or a bumper sticker. That's can I, it. Can I open up? Can I throw in a couple of sweeteners? Okay. Let's open up a couple more. Ask no, me some we, spots. I, I think we still have some spots open. Yeah. So make sure. $10 a month. $10 a month. And summer. that is unlimited access to me. Unlimited. Yeah. Unlimited. Four in the morning. My bike. Four break. in the morning. Wow. I will be sitting in my negligible <laughs> up in bed answering your questions. Wow. And maybe sending you shots. Oh, <laughs> that's worth every bit of $10 a month. Oh, and more. <laughs> Ten dollars and a penny. Forget OnlyFans. It's Patreon. <laughs> you guys are out of control. So, um, yes, we have a big guest coming on. Well, he's today. not that big. Yeah. No, I mean he's like not. He's like, not that that big. Yeah. I was not pointing <laughs> you at you, John. I was not. I gestured towards you. Not as big as John. Gestured towards. I didn't say that. <laughs> Uh, so we have a Hall of Famer coming yes. on a little bit. We but, like them Hall of Famers. Oh, yeah. So hold on to your seats for that. We got a great interview. But first, um, I wanted to give a shout out to our guests that uh, were visiting the us. Yeah. The Germans. The Germans. Yeah. Yeah. Andy and Bita. Yes. We're here uh, from Germany riding their Harleys from around. From Hamburg. From Hamburg. And I did, I did ask them, and I think uh, I, I'm quite disappointed with the answer. Is that where hamburgers come from? Well, I said, is this, is like hamburgers is the big thing? Like, do you have a bunch of like, you know, you know how you go to like yeah. some towns and it's all about the barbecue and everyone's right. competing for best barbecue or best Philly cheesesteak yes. in Philly? Is it best hamburgers? I'm like, no, not really. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. No, I think, you know, if you were to give uh, an Italian a piece of American pizza, they'd be a little disappointed with it. And I think so it is with with Hamburg, you know, the 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 whole hamburger thing has been elevated beyond its original idea. Not, not sure, but they they are troopers. They oh, are each riding their own hardcore Harleys. riders. They've been here. Uh, this is near the end of the trip. They've been here for three weeks. Pick the worst year. The to come. worst three yeah. weeks in California history weather, and they've been soldiering on and riding all over the state. So, shout out to them for coming down. Um, but because it was uh, not a lot of action in the garage today, we had time to get creative. And I had a, I had a crazy idea. I had to get crazy ideas. It's all not the your time, first, Liza. No, I know. Oh, John doesn't even know the other crazy idea. Oh I God. Yes, we will tell him that. Um, but I I thought you know it would be a good project, a fun project. I said, what if we came up with our own cookbook, our a book of recipes. <laughs> hmm. Of cooking on motorcycles. Yes. Now, I know this is a much bigger thing on cars, and I've seen this where people have meals that you can cook on the cars, and that's a lot easier. You can pack it. Yeah, exhaust manifold chicken. Exactly. Like, there are recipes for that. Yes. Not a lot for motorcycles. Now, it should be fair to mention that our very own misfit, John, um, John Dalton, 
Oh. Used to have a little cooking tin yes, on his did. BMW before the whole thing went up in flames. But And he used to regularly cook. But he was a fisherman as well, you see. And in fact, you know, um, one of the Moto Bandito products that we used to uh, hawk <laughs> was, was, was actually quite brilliant. We need to make this. It was a, uh, a projector headlight that you could play movies with your headlight. And then it was a popcorn basket attached to your exhaust and a bucket helmet that became your popcorn bucket. Hmm. Only from Moto Bandito. Moto Bandito. All in one. Moto movie night. Right there. So um, we were talking in the garage about what kind of meals one could prepare on a motorcycle. Now, at this point, this is all hypothetical. So I want to start... Working on some of these, but also we're going to go down this list of these ideas we had to see if anyone out there is brave enough to try and actually make it. Could I cram a hot dog in the exhaust port? We were talking about that. I'm not sure that that's a good idea. Hmm. Could be great, too. I don't know that exhaust fumes, <laughs> cooked by exhaust fumes, is a good idea. <laughs> that's, that We know that there's a certain amount of unburnt gasoline yeah, that goes true. out. I mean, we already know there's a lot of things on a hot dog you don't want to know that's in there. Mm-hmm. No point in adding gasoline to that fire. Never like to put <laughs> gasoline on my hot dog. I, I am told that they're made from noses. And ears. Butts and nuts. Butts and nuts. So, um, so here's some ideas we came up with. And also, hey, we want your feedback. If you've actually cooked on your motorcycle or if you think you have some ideas. So, um, Emma. Yes. Royal Enfield. What do you think would be a great meal to cook on a Royal Enfield? There's no question. Yeah. Lamb vindaloo. <laughs> <laughs> no question at all. My favorite, lamb vindaloo and gin. That is a, that's Emma's definition of a large afternoon. And so are you using the head, the header, the exhaust? Doesn't do matter. It's a good part. It's, it's all a good part. Um, but no, I think I think a small tin because you need to you need to keep the flavour in the lamb. Mm-hmm. So you need to you and mm. you know you can't eat too much vindaloo because if you eat far too much vindaloo, your your bottom actually drops out. It's a, it's a <laughs> fact. It's kind of like when you eat too many of the gummy dicks. Oh yes, same thing. Yeah, and that could be a good game. Is Hide the key to the lavatory and feed people gummy dicks. No, 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 no. Um, but, no, I think a small tin attached to a warm part of the header close to where the catalytic converter port is, and you could kind of tie it on and then get your, your vindaloo sauce and your chunks of lamb in there. Is there a certain Royal Enfield that's better than others? Is the Continental GT better than the Meteor? No, I think the Himalayan is the tool for oh, the job. That's probably true. Yeah. And we were talking earlier about this. Um you know, on some of the old Harleys that had that teardrop-shaped yes. toolkit, that there are a lot of aftermarket companies that make them for cruisers right. to bolt on. Yes, uh, I think to your swing arm, that could the be swing, a good swing. The swing arm. <laughs> <laughs> but the advantage with using the Himalayan is if you find yourself out of lamb, you could substitute goat and go chasing up off up the oh, hill. Wouldn't it. the Himalayan be vegetarian though, because it's Indian? Oh, I don't feel so. No. No. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, lamb, lamb vindaloo, goat vindaloo as a All substitute, right. yes. So, John, mm. on a triumph, what do you think would be a good meal? I'm thinking bangers and mash. Ooh. Like my mother used to make. Exactly. Yes. How, how do you do the bangers and mash? Hmm. So I, it would depend on which triumph you got. 
So I'm, do you do you realise we have we have listeners who don't know what a banger is? Maybe I don't either. <laughs> no, it's a. Well, sausage. you didn't know what a mash was. It's a, I didn't know what a mash. I thought it was mashed peas, but it's, no, it's, it's a sausage. Potato. It's a sausage and mashed potatoes. Yes, yeah, but they're not just sausages. They're big. The big plump. They're chubbies. Pork and, you know, stuff. Mm. We don't ask too much about this stuff. <laughs> but there's pork and stuff. And they have a propensity to pop when you cook them. Hence, they're called bangers. So what I would probably do is wrap those bangers up in a nice tin foil and stick it behind the cylinders on a Bonneville. Stick it where the sun don't shine. Exactly. And the mash? The mash? No, it's ma- not with a, no D on the end, darling. It's just mash. M-A-S-H. M-A-S-H. Yeah, it's like the monster mash. Uh, I think I would borrow your tin from the Himalayan, and and then maybe maybe have to do a mash reheat. Actually, I think you're. Uh, or uh, or no, wait, no. wait wait no no I could wrap up some. Oh, here we go. I would wrap up <laughs> some baked potatoes into tin foil. Yep. Shove that in there. Yes, exactly. Hook those up. Peel them. Mash them. No, nope, good. No, nope. what? You're close. Just wrap the potato in the foil. Cook it, and then just squish, 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 squish the the foil. There you go. Any port in a storm. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, you've got to, in true to, to British comic books from the 1960s, what you have to do is you might have to make a big heap of mashed potato mm-hmm. and then stick the bangers in so it kind of looks like the horns coming out of a helmet. Oh. Because, you know, the hero, whenever he'd completed some dastardly task and he went home for his, his big slap up tea, you know, he had a big plate of bangers mash and it always looked like a big heaping heap. Of mashed potato with bangers sticking out the side of it. That sounds incredible. Oh, it's great. So on my Africa Twin, mm. my Honda, I was thinking, right? Uh, well, you've got two cultures there. So the front frame. Yes. Right in front of the headers. Yes. I think I can um, attach some skewers. Yes. And do some chicken teriyaki skewers. Right? Yes. I think I could just put some chicken on skewers and attach it to the... To the down tube on right. the frame. Yes. And that should get some heat, right? No, no rice or anything with that? Uh, no, I think just some nice teriyaki sauce and... No rice or anything? And some skewers. You, you know, the I San have, Francisco you know me, treats. I have a thing about meat on a stick. I love meat on a stick. You look at anything on a stick, including a lobster. Oh, Somebody came up with a lobster on a stick. It'd be a damn big stick. Oh, I'm, yes, I've had that. Okay. Oh, very good. Um, Emma. Hello. What do you think uh, would be a good meal on a BMW? Ooh, that'd be a good one. Let me see. Uh, well, let's have a think about what it says there. <laughs> what, what, do- a, what about bratwurst? No, I was thinking bratwurst. There's a sausage steam going on right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're easy. <clears throat> they're yes. already preformed. No, bratwurst is good. Bratwurst, but where would you toast the buns? Oh, that's easy. Oh, that yeah. And yeah. On the cylinders. Yes, of course. Because they stick straight out the side. You could just lay the buns on the cylinders, and you could you could strap them on with zip ties, and off you go. I and think your buns would get lovely and toasted. Sa- sauerkraut with Now, see, here's something I think you can just lay directly onto the exhaust. You probably could. That's probably the easiest bike to cook on, would be the, the BMW. Yeah, the BMW, because the there's a lot of flat areas. Yeah. A lot of flat. And the sauerkraut, you could empty all of the oil... Out of the 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 you know the rear bevel gear mm-hmm. and stick all your kraut in there and let the axle mix it all up for you and then you get your sauerkraut. Wow! All right, what about uh, John? What about Harley Davidson? Oh, we haven't finished with the BMW yet. And then when everything's ready, 
you can holler. The worst is yet to come. Jesus. <laughs> what do you think on Harley? You know, I was thinking barbecue, mm-hmm. but then I started thinking more. And chicken and biscuits. I, I know, and we talked about ribs before, but now I'm kind of thinking what I would do is probably hang some meat in the middle of the two cylinders and turn it into beef jerky. You mean where time. the carburetor is? Well, and the, the could, intake I could find a spot somewhere, but I'm thinking yeah, beef jerky. Okay. Can I can beef I talk jerky. a little yeah. bit about beef? It, no, but corn. This is an opportunity for the corn. Oh well, corn in the cob certainly. Yeah, but can I talk a little bit about beef jerky? Mm-hmm. That is, I I like to think of beef jerky as being the country and western music of food. In that, it's widely admired in America. But often misunderstood outside America. <laughs> not it's it's not quite as um, enjoyed outside America. I mean, if you were to give um, a European a piece of beef jerky, they'd be like, "What the hell is this?" And a South African says that weird beef jerky that, that comes in a big chunk. It's, it starts with a B. I forget what this Billabong. Oh yeah, or whatever. Yeah, whatever the I don't know. Yeah. Well, all right. Let's go back to Harley. Now, Harleys and, and big I mean, twins like Indians. Maybe ribs. There are people who actually do this. Who I've seen a guy yeah. who has uh, created a flamethrower mm. out of his, his his pipes, and he does barbecues uh, with his bike, shooting flames. Um, again, the gas, not, not so Well, good. I think if you're going to do that, you need an alternative source of fuel than gasoline, because mm. no matter how much you burn gasoline, you can't get the gasoline flavor. You et- could ingest ethanol, yeah. yeah, ethanol or gin. Yeah. And, Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I love the, like, corn. Where can you pack the corn on the cob? I want some good corn on the cob. <laughs> Wherever you like, darling. <laughs> Wherever it fits. <laughs> I mean, technically. Under the seat. <laughs> oh, actually, no. On the header, where you have the two pipes going to one, you have that those two pipes, which makes like a cradle to strap some corn in. What would you put it in? Tin foil? Yeah. Okay. Foiled again? Yeah, I think tin foil. So here's one that's a real challenge, and I came up with an answer. What meal could you cook with a zero motorcycle? Tofu, Micro- <laughs> anything microwavable? <laughs> no, I think I think it'd be tofu, or freaking soy, or something. I don't no. know. Something, something a hippie. So here's the, here's the thing: because you don't have heat, so what food can you cook without heat? Cold food. Nope, oh. that's not true. Ceviche. Oh, hey, and it makes sense. Look, zeros from here, where we've got the land and the sea, right? This, yes. The seafood. Chop up some. Some nice uh, fish, white fish. Put in some citrus and and some maybe some papaya, orange juice. Wrap it up and let it just cook in the juices. I'm mm. on a seafood diet. I seafood. I, I eat, eat food. Um. So here's the thing we need to come up with now. We need to. Fi- I think I want to try some of these. Um. I want. I really want to. I want to try and come up with some cooking uh, uh what do you say uh, uh for some of our bikes i mean emma you got a harley that's perfect yes are you willing to try and figure out how to cook some food on it oh uh, absolutely but not beef jerky no not beef jerky and uh i'll try my africa twin john which are you gonna try mm. your triumph Trying to th- maybe the Triumph, maybe the KLR. Ooh, what would a KLR? What meal? 
Well, I mean, it, it, I feel a KLR is very much a workaday bike. So, I mean, what is what is a, a workaday Japanese diet? Probably noodles of some description. Some sort of ramen, maybe. Oh, yeah, ramen, ramen noodles. Yeah, ramen. Oh. There you go. Yeah, the KLR 650 is the ramen of the motorcycle there world. NT. Yes. Ooh, so I know John Dalton used to do that. Can you boil tea on the bike? I mean, no can you boil water? Not. Yeah, no reason why not. Hmm, I think, didn't John have a, I think he strapped a, a flat plate onto his exhaust and that he can then strap a kettle on top of that, right? No, I think for the water he had something that looked like a distillery. You know, oh, wait there was a, a lot of copper pipes. Wait a minute, we got all those um, metal water bottles now. Yes. That, you can just yes. use a metal strap and strap it to the exhaust anywhere. Yeah, I mean, if you have a heat source... And water, you can boil water. And just hmm. keep just keep riding around until it boils. What would be the most complicated meal you could cook on a bike? Oh, you could cook anything. I want lobster. You always want lobster. I want, lo- I want to cook a lobster. Did I ever tell a story on air about Liza and the Queen Mary and the lobster? I think about eight times. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Do you remember that one, John? I've heard some Queen Mary stories. I don't remember this one specifically. Oh, so uh, we're sitting in a restaurant in the Queen Mary. So we'd been on our Los Angeles trip. And this was the trip where we went to the Honda training Mm -hmm. place, which was just lovely. And um, we decided we were going to spend the last night on the Queen Mary. And I'm glad we did, because I don't think it's going to be a hotel for a long while. Why would you say that? Well, no, I mean, it's undergoing huge repairs. I mean renovations? Complete renovate, multi-million dollar renovations. Oh, and there okay. was a lawsuit because Long Beach didn't want to get involved, and the Port Authority didn't want to get involved, and the hotel didn't want to get involved. And it's like, oh, just leave it to rot. And then, but anyway, that's another story. So last night we're on the Queen Mary, and Liza's like, I thought I'm going to splurge, and I'm going to get the lobster, and so. The waiter comes over and Liza says, oh, uh, I fancy the lobster. And the waiter goes, oh, are you going to share? And I'm going, no, I don't need that stuff. And his eyes got really big. And so Liza said, no, I'll eat it all myself. And this thing came out, and I'm not kidding you, it was on this huge plate, and it was hanging over the plate. <laughs> the head was over one side, the tail was over the other, all the legs were over the other side. How much do you think that thing weighed? Uh, I've had five pounders before, so that might have been a three. No, it was bigger pounder. than a three or four pounds. No, well, I think it was a three or four. It pounder. was a large crustacean. Mm. Yeah, um, well, pound and a quarter is usually what is served in restaurants, so that was like a yeah, it's a good four. Yeah, it might be a four pounder. You ate that whole thing yourself? Oh yeah, I've eaten an eight pounder by myself. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, oh, and yeah. It, I mean, it was an effort. She kind of loses her mind around seafood. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. Simmer down now. Um, hey, also, it may have been raining here, but it doesn't mean we didn't get some stuff done. In fact, John, yep, you triumphantly fixed your bike. It was a glorious moment. <laughs> <laughs> John showed up in dire straits, his beloved DRZ 400 that he's been working on tirelessly, mm-hmm. tirelessly to and get it fine-tuned. we've got that thing running quite well. He's like... It won't. It won't do anything. Yeah, I got it home last time. It won't, it won't do anything. It won't I pressed turn the button. On, it won't do it anything. Like, nah. Nothing. Yeah. And he was like, oh, "You gotta help me, please. Gotta help me." Like, All right. Well, first thing you gotta do, just check your battery. 
don't we're not going to even ask Emma for anything till you know how how much the is in the battery. Good. Battery's good. And then kind of uh I think Emma yeah, said a few things to check and you found it on your own. Yeah. John. I think it was the what, only thing I told you to What was, was wrong with your bike? <laughs> so it turns out um which I did not know DRZ 400s are notorious for having uh, the clutch switch that let, allows you to turn the bike on. You got to pull in the clutch to turn the bike well, on. Well, there's a story. So Triumphs and Suzuki's share the same thing in common, that you need to pull the clutch in to get them to start, or at least in America you do. I think this is just in America, and mm. it's, it's a safety thing. And I remember having a conversation with the triumph rep many many years ago about triumphs that won't start and i said well you know it's the clutch switch suspect and he said the clutch switch is always Mm. suspect now if you think about it every time you operate the clutch you're operating the switch Mm. might not be doing anything but the plunger's going in and out Mm -hmm. and it's only a little bit of plastic it's a lot of pulls so it's a lot of pulls yeah and so um, the switches themselves wear out, and usually you can tell when they're going out because you've got to you pull in your clutch and it won't start, and then you kind of hook your fingers under the lever and kind of hoik the lever up, mm. and then it'll start, and you're like, oh shit, yeah, okay, the switch is going out. Yours, what somebody had done was bypassed, which it. is what you told me to do, and it turned out it was bypassed, already. and it was yeah. already bypassed. However, however, this. Wires came apart. The wires had come apart. Yeah. So what Suzuki do is they give you the wires that go to the clutch switch. It's just two wires and the yellow and green and green and yellow. And they have a male plug on one and a female plug on the other, which means when you take away the switch, it is very easy just to plug the wires together. Which is what they did, yep. But they didn't push it fully home. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you a Misfits top tip. Ooh. When you are faced with bullet connectors on a Japanese bike, and especially if it's clear, when you push that bullet connector together mm-hmm. and you feel a little click, it's not fully home. You push it together some more until you feel the big click. Uh, that's exactly what happened. And you might need a mechanical instrument like a little screwdriver mm. or a little Allen to go in there and push it that little click because the plastic sleeve, which acts as a condom, allows you not to push the wires in completely. So you have to kind of fish in there and go click and you feel the big click. So you felt the big click. And I taped it up, too. And that starts right up, doesn't it? <clears throat> it did. I'm that, so glad it didn't happen in the middle of the desert. Oh, God. I mean, you know. Something simple like that. Wouldn't that be, can you imagine a ruined trip? Over that. Over that. Yeah. Now, the later Suzuki's, you can't do that. Oh, they, they idiot-proofed it? Yeah. Well, yes and no. The later Suzuki's with the fuel injection and the Jixas are notorious for this. You will change the levers because everyone likes those fingertip levers, even though I hate them with a passion. I like full-size levers. But you'll put those and the clutch switch doesn't work anymore, so you bypass it. And you go off riding, and it's great. And then you come to your first downshift and the check engine light goes, bink. Oh. And you go down to a reduced performance. 
because the clutch switch is part of the engine management ECU. Mm. When you shift down, you pull in the clutch and shift down, and it just momentarily goes, blips the engine Mm. to give you a nice downshift. Well, it can't do that because the clutch switch is disconnected. So it kicks on the check engine light. So you can't. You can't bypass them on later Suzuki's. But, of course, your DRZ has a... There you go. (laughs) One of them! You were so excited when you found it, John. Oh, I was happy. (laughs) Yeah. Look for the yellow wire with the green stripe, Johnny. Spot on. Yeah, I've done so many of them. And Triumphs are the same way. Mm. Um, If ever you Triumph, just... You've got lights on the dash, and you press the button. And it's different... A Triumph, if a battery's low on a Triumph, you never get the... Won't do that. It'll go... (coughs) And kind of the starter will just kind of do a quarter of a turn and then disengage. And that's how you know you've got a bad battery. But if you you press the button and you've got nothing and all the lights are on the dash, probably the clutch switch. Hmm. Yeah, well, it was a good day in the garage. We got some stuff done. Yeah. uh, we helped Alan. He he got his tire changed. Oh yeah, he just came in with that little. And Jake two point He he got his some engine work. <gasps> I think we're being joined by somebody. He's getting some help. Bubba, are you there? Yeah. Hey, hey! I'm here. <clears throat> Bubba Schobert, how are wow. you? Um, I'm doing great. Just um, just uh, listening to what's happening in the racing world and. Uh, I'm pl- planning my same old deal with going to uh, some special events and having fun. Exactly. Well, you're actually going to be coming to a, a special event near us soon, which is uh, why you're here. Um, but let's first get to who you are. If you've never heard of Bubba, Sh- Bubba Schobert, like, John, you you have a history with Bubba that he doesn't know about. I know. I saw Bubba race in Daytona in the mid-late mid 80s. And uh, specifically, 80s? I saw, I think, I believe I saw you at the Volusia half mile um and then perhaps in the 200 also during those times and was he the man <laughs> he was he was a god to me, yeah. <laughs> he was the, exactly <laughs> so mama you've you've done a couple things sure. uh you were three-time ama grand national dirt track champion and then uh ama Superbike champion and then you went on to the moto gp grand prix you're 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 like one of them i, I described back in the day like the cowboys that did everything you know that uh well you see he's got the accent for it darling well you've got that you've got that texas accent don't you Bubba? yeah yeah i do and uh it, it was really disappointing because when i moved to california in the, the mid 80s and then pr- pretty much it got rid of my accent and then after i got my injury in 89 i had to go to speech therapy here in texas they they give me my accent right back. <laughs> <laughs> so my history with you, Bubba, um, growing up in England, we hadn't really heard of you. And in the very early 90s, I was working, I came over to California and I was working at a motorcycle shop. And there was a poster on the wall of a brand new Honda CBR 600. I think it might have been an F3. And it got ridden by Bubba Schobert. So I don't know whether you remember doing that advertising campaign. And I pointed um, at the poster and I said, who's Bubba Schobert? 
And then they said, well, you better do some research. And I did. And I'm like, this guy's the man. That was one of the first things I did after my accident. And I, I went out to Willow Springs and we, we shot that ad. <laughs> and I, I really, uh, my balance and coordination wasn't, wasn't very good. And uh, actually, I was, I was, they were taking shots going through, I don't know which corner. And then, then I'd go down there and turn around. I wouldn't make a complete lap. And uh, well, I remember dropping that thing when I was turning around. <laughs> so that that was kind of kind of funny. Well, you know, you you sure look good on the poster, and you share something in common with um, a lot of motorcycle racers: is they suffer an injury and then have to kind of rebuild what they do afterwards. But yeah, you stayed yeah, involved I, in motorcycling well, all these years, Emma. Yes. I want to go back to the beginning. Yeah. Oh, You're starting then. I want to go back to the beginning. Bubba, people need to know the story. Yeah. Yes. You, you, let's go back to the very beginning. You started riding pretty young. You started racing pretty young. Let's Tell us about the first bike you got and who got it for you. Well, um, my, my parents bought me a, um, a mini bike. Cause, but back in there, let's see, back in, let's see, I was... Born in 62, so I was eight years old. So in 70, you know, they didn't have the little motorcycles that they have nowadays. The, the, the smallest thing they had was like a Briggs and Stratton. <laughs> yeah. And, and the frame was actually kind of tall. Yeah, I have one of them. And, uh, <laughs> that, and that was my, and it has three and a half horsepower. And that, that was my first first motorcycle, you know, was mm-hmm. a Briggs and Stratton mini bike. And with that pull, that pull start, yeah, <laughs> that was a test. Yeah. If you could start it, you could ride it. <laughs> so you grew up in Lubbock, correct? Correct. Yep. And uh, so, who, what got you interested in motorcycles to start out with? Well, as as a family, we used to always go on the weekends. We'd go to the lake, the nearby lake, or they had a they had a uh, riding facility here. It was just out in the country, and uh, had some hills and things, and. And uh, we we just did that as a family, you know, because my my dad's brothers raced when he was younger, ah. and and then uh, so we just had it as a hobby, and then uh, I took to it pretty good, and uh, and I mean I came up at the best time, you know, I yeah. think because the golden age, and, uh, because when uh, when on any Sunday came out in seventy one or two, mm-hmm. and when I seen that. You know, over. that was, yeah, that's all over. That's what I wanted to do, you know, be a professional motorcycle racer. And it really was the golden age. You and me, Bubba, are exactly the same age. I was born in 62. So while you were doing your thing in America, I was doing it in England. And it really was the best time to be involved. And the machinery was great. And just the enthusiasm for the sport was was. There's never been anything like it since. So, you you know, s- sorry, go ahead. Sure. No, I, I was just going to agree with her saying, yeah, I was, you know, I, I feel blessed every day, you know, that I came up when I did. Mm. Yeah. Now you started racing pretty young too. It sounds like the family was into it. So they're all gung ho to get you on a bike. How was that first race? Did, did you show that you had the skills right out of the bat? And, and what were you racing at that time? Well, okay. We'll, we'll go back and, you know, when we'd go to the lake and, and go riding and stuff, you know, I used to follow, we had to follow people, you know, mm-hmm. and then I started, 
I started passing everybody. So they thought, hmm, this, <laughs> this kid's going to be pretty good. And, uh, and then they went, um, and then a friend, a good friend of my dad's owned the Kawasaki dealership. And just so happened is um, there was a local indoor race coming to, the, to town and they said, well, do you want to race? And I said, sure. So, <laughs> so this would have been an so indoor racing, flat track, right? Right. Yeah. On concrete. And uh, I, w- I was racing a, uh, a chibi. Uh, it was a chibi. Um, I think it was a 50 cc. Had a, I think a Bridgestone motor. Which, oh, okay. Interesting. And uh, uh, I forget. There was probably only about five people in the class, but I was I was running third, and I I crashed on the last lap. So that was that was it. That was my start of my racing career. But you you, you could taste it. You didn't want to keep going back, right? Yeah, I did, and uh, it just so happened that the um, the national at the the Grand National Championships were at uh, the Houston Astrodome right. in January. In January, and that's when uh, my birthday's in January 29th, and that was about the same time as those races. And so my mom and dad took me to that event for my birthday. And, and you know, Houston, well, you know, being Texas, it was still 500 miles away. Mm. So, but it was uh, – Oh, it was it was great seeing those guys so race. Who, who was racing at that race? Who who do you remember seeing there? Um, I remember um, Mert Lowell and uh, mm-hmm. Gina Romero and and uh, I don't think uh, I don't know when Kenny Roberts got into it, but um, was Dick, I used Dick to Man, see all them guys, Dave Aldana yeah. and all of the old old guys. Jim Rice. Jim Rice, yes. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of these are, are local guys. Jim Rice has been here in our studio. Oh, yeah. On our show, and Mert Law, see him every year at the Quail. So we're hoping yeah. to see him again. Uh, all these great legends. What oh, what a time to go out there and see a race like that. That must have been amazing. So when you started out, was it was it mainly just flat track, or were you doing scrambles and early, early motocross and stuff? Um, I, I was doing mainly flat track, and then I would do a – do um, some scrambles and and uh, ne- never did do much motocross, but mm-hmm. uh, I would I would do it later on and and that was just more or less to stay in shape, right. you know. And that's only flat flat tracking. It kind of died out and here in Lubbock, so there's really nothing else to do but race motocross. And right. I did a lot of enduro racing and and stuff like that. Well, and that's, I think, when I refer to uh, guys of your era, the last great cowboys, because you were riding everything and anything, like anything with two wheels, let's go, let's hit it. I, yeah. I love, I love that. Um, I'm curious about, you know, as you're, you're going up through the ranks and you're racing and you're getting older and you're, you know, getting into your teenage years. Where are you getting your bikes? I'm curious, was your, your family uh, providing them or were you having to but, earn them? Well, I know uh, my, my dad, you know, he had a successful um, uh, meat, wholesale meat business. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of supported my racing up until um, till I was like 19. And then, it, you know, then it starts, you know, you can amateur race pretty, mm. pretty inexpensive, you know. This was, of course, before the outrageous prices on gas and hotels and 
and everything. So, but, um, yeah, he, um, he sponsored me, you know, I got help from a few people around here, around town that just, you know, had a little money and wanted to, to help out. So, so when, when did you turn pro? I turned pro and, uh, well, it was when you had to be a novice, when you got your dirt track license, right. you had to be a novice and you had to uh, work your way up to be an expert. And, uh, I turned 16 and, uh, wow. uh, 78. Mm-hmm. So that was when I first got my novice license. And then, uh, I turned expert in, uh, 80. Wow. Wow. I love hearing stories from a lot of the guys. Like I think Mert talked about, you know, riding to the races, and then having to ride the race, and then having to ride back home. But it oh, sounds yeah. like you had it pr- had it pretty good, Bubba. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I felt um, I felt like uh, sometimes I didn't want to be like the kid with the motorhome and the trailer. You know, I, I wanted to be in. I wanted to have a a van like most of the racers had. You know, and although. I didn't really realize that those guys in the band would lots rather be in the motorhome. (laughs) (laughs) So you started out your, 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 where were you shining the most? Was it flat track? Is that where you really were digging it? Yeah, that's where I was mainly doing it. And that's, um, I don't know. I guess I'm, I don't know. I think I'm in the perfect size for, for a flat tracker, you know, and in in the years when I was coming up, it was like, the motocross bikes, they were so tall. They mm. still are. <laughs> yeah, they, they still are. I still have to ride a little bike, you know. But um, Oh, I never thought yeah, about and I that. Just, yeah. I just never, that's why I guess one, that's one reason motocross never really fit, fit into me because I was, I was, I was short, you know. Now, um, when people talk about you now, Bubba, there's always this link between you and Honda. Um, it's almost like you guys are joined together. I know we'll talk about the 85 through 87 season in a little while, but we're kind of, we're still in the early eighties now. Had you made that transition onto the Honda or are you still just riding what you could get your hands on? No, I, I rode um, in it. Well, in 82 was my first national win. That was our Harley Davidson. And then, uh, 83, I got a, pretty good sponsor from a guy that had a, a motorhome company but it was also on, on harley's and honda was just getting into it so um in 84 they, they had a team in 83 i guess maybe in 82 and 83 but they got uh, they hired gene romero mm-hmm. and he and then he hired he, he came to me and made me an offer you know and i was like trying to beat a guy out of that the harley team which that was the only other team you know that was uh, springsteen and randy goss and and parker you know it was like oh, i'm never going to beat these guys out of their spot you know right i'm always going to be jay a, I, springsteen he wore that number one for a long long time he must have seemed unbeatable back for for well, a while in the 80s i mean yeah, he, he was, and it seemed like uh, he would seem to be like always the guy to beat until he started he started having those um, stomach issues, right? You know, and uh, that kind of 
kind of slowed his racing career down. So I thought I heard the familiar sound of a dog collar. What kind of dog do you have? <laughs> I didn't hear it. <laughs> I, guess it's just, I guess it's just natural. I put up with it all the time, but we have a, I have a miniature beagle, which, <laughs> which is my, was my son's. And when yeah. my son moved, moved off and then he didn't have room for the dog. And so we, we got the dog and then I was, um, I was doing a, a yard business landscaping and, and, uh, this, this lady asked me if, if I knew anybody that wanted this, this uh, dog that's on her front porch. And, and, uh, I said, well, I don't know. She said, well, my husband says he's going to shoot it. If oh, I oh, no. <laughs> well, that's that then. Wow. So I said, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. And then we brought it home and it's a, it's a pit. And it's the nicest, uh-huh. <laughs> nicest dog in the world. They you know, often so. are. So, um, so it sounds to me like uh, Gene Romero got the bugs out of these Hondas in 83, 84. You came along in 85. So you'd gotten off the Harley, which I guess was the XR750, which is a very yes. powerful machine. So... Tell us a little bit about the Honda, and you can get as technical as you want. I'm kind of like the nerd with bikes, so I yeah. like to know everything. Well, I, I, I probably I just know the basics as yeah, far yeah, as yeah. any technical stuff with the Honda. But uh, they they hired me and me and Ricky Graham in '84, and we we did a lot of testing and. I don't know. And we, we just, um, we started winning and, and then they started thinking, you know, they were, well, AMA was to say, well, the, the Hondas aren't, it's not fair. They got four valves per cylinder, which in, uh, in, uh, 84, you know, that was, that was nothing, you know, I mean, we, we couldn't help that. Harley was still running the, the same engine that was designed in 72. <laughs> right. And, and Honda, you know, and then they, they just, I guess they wanted to, to start off with Honda wanted, they offered AMA. They said, well, why don't you guys go to 600s? Because everybody makes a 600, but I guess, but Harley. <laughs> and, uh, so and they the, said, no, if, they said, if you want, if you guys want to race dirt track, build a 750. So that's when Honda built one and, and they, um, they, they had to do a lot of testing and all. And that, and I, I just came along at the perfect time when they had already got a couple of years worth of testing. And then, and we had the bike pretty much worked out for when we got a hold of it. So, um, Emma, do you know what engine was that? That's the, what I was going to ask. Is that what, did it come out of the Ascot? No, I no. think it was a, it was a standalone no. engine. Oh, it was a race specific. So it was oh, never yeah. in production. You you couldn't it, it buy was, that engine. It, it was an RS seven fifty, right. which was just yeah. just built for for flat track. It didn't didn't have it in any other models or oh, anything. And they had to build so many of them to be legal. Right, you know? water cooled. I believe so. Uh, yeah. No, no. Oh, it was an air cooled one. Air right? Yeah, and and how were the, how were the brakes on that thing? Well, you know, those, those weren't Honda brakes or nothing. There was just like the brakes that everyone else uses in flat track. You know, the 
the Cosmos or the Gurmikas or, or anything. It's just writer preference. I, I think that, w- that was a time when there was a lot of advancement in the power in the engines, not as much advancement yet in like brakes and suspension on bikes, which I think is why a lot of people uh, who are used to to modern bikes now, when they try and ride some of these bikes from back then, it's it's a death trap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it's I, a I, beast. I got a, uh, I'm going to ride that, there at that ride at Quail, I'm going to ride uh, VFR. Oh, okay. Uh, it's an 88 model. So it's the same model that I, I won the Superbike Championship on. And uh, I rode it uh, last year. At, well, no, yeah, last year at uh, at Laguna when uh, when uh, Wayne Rainey, he had to ride right. over yes. to the track. And we got to do a lap and stuff. And, and I was like, man, that, you know, because I've, of course, I rode newer stuff since then. But, I didn't realize, man, I was thinking, man, I, I can't believe I rode this thing, you know? And, <laughs> so even you, you get on it now, you're like, how did I do oh, it? Yeah. How did you wonder, how did I actually do this? But, 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 uh, it is. but between you and Ricky Graham, so let's go back to the 85, 86, 87 seasons. You got yourself some wins then, didn't you? And Ricky too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, uh, I think I'd, I'd win eight or nine races a, a year, you know, which I guess in, in dirt track, that was pretty good. That was a pretty good chunk when there was only uh, 25 of them. Right. So, but, uh, yeah, I en- ended up winning the, um, uh, Stroh's, the Stroh's beer. They had, a um, they put up money for the, the mile series and, uh, they sponsored, um, a few of the races and, and I, I won that championship. It was a championship within the championship. So, but I, I won that on the, the mile tracks. I, it seemed to be my strong point. I, we, I was going to ask your preference is has been the mile and not the half mile. You like the mile, yeah? I like the mile best, and and uh, I don't know. I guess. Uh, like on the fast. on the half miles, some some sometimes on the half on the half miles, I would try too hard, you know. And sometimes you, know, you got to slow down to to go faster on the half miles. Right. Nice. Well, um, Bubba, want to keep going with this, but but I've created a game for you. Now you may not be a regular regular listener to our show, but we like to come up with games for our guests. And I created a game. I'm calling it the Bubba game. Yeah. yeah, this one is going to be real easy. I think you're going to do good. <laughs> I'm going to read to you some quotes that I have pulled. Uh, and all you have to do is tell me which Bubba it is. Because here's the deal. We've got three well-known Bubbas who ride motorcycles made a name for themselves. Besides yeah. you, we've got Bubba Blackwell, who broke Evil Knievel's record, the famous jumper. And we got Bubba Stewart, the motocross racer. So mm-hmm. I've got some quotes, and I'm 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 curious to see if you remember saying these things. You need to tell me who said it, which, which Bubba, Bubba said, said it. <laughs> it's either you, Bubba Blackwell, or Bubba Stewart. You ready to play this game? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I will read you the quote. I saw guys like Gene Romero, Mert Law, and Jim Rice. I was in awe of them and their riding. Motorcycle racing was all I cared about. After that, I wanted to be just like those guys. 
Huh. I wonder who said that. Who <laughs> said that? Which Bubba said that? I think Bubba said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you that. Yes, it was you. All right, yeah. here's another one. When asked about what he does, what he enjoys doing when he's not racing, Bubba's, re- Bubba's reply was that he likes to chill out, ride his cows, play golf, mountain bike, and go jet skiing. Hmm. I guess uh, I'd say that was uh, probably Black Wolf. That was actually Bubba Stewart. Really? I, he's riding cows? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's, that surprised exactly. me as well. I know. I'm like, oh. wait, are you sure that's not Bubba Schobert riding cows? It sounds like it. Well, maybe he meant cow as a Kawasaki. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> All right, here's another one. It's been a long, cold winter, and I've been on the couch and off the bike for a bit, but I'm excited about my new role with American Flat Track and getting back on the legendary XR750. Oh, that would be uh, a black wolf. That is correct. That's a quote when he was coming out of retirement to jump 14 GMC pickup trucks at Daytona Speedway. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. All right. Here's another one. On weekends when there was a road race, I would do the road race instead of the dirt track. Even though a couple of them were on the same weekend, I chose to go ahead and do the road race because I felt like my future was going to be in the MotoGP. Well, I think that's um, I think that's Bubba Schobert. That is correct. <laughs> I think you're good at this game. All right. Throughout my entire career, I have seen many big changes in motorcycle racing, and I am extremely proud to have been a part of some of them. Um, Bubba Stewart, probably. That is correct. And that's when he announced his new team that he's going to be racing with on electric motorcycles in mm-hmm. the uh, FIM Explorer World Cup. All right. I haven't even heard that. Mm-hmm. But then I saw another interview that, that may not have, have come together. These, uh, these are quotes from all throughout uh, time. All right. How about this one? Yeah, I ride. I've got a street bike. My wife and I, we go on trips and go riding. I'm having a lot of fun riding with some fast street riders. I've always been involved in motorcycles. It's kind of like once you start, there ain't no getting out. Um, I don't remember saying that. I give it to Blackwell on that one. No, that was you. <laughs> that was me? Well, <laughs> I, 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 it could have been me. So I was thinking. Exactly. That's what I thought was funny. It's like, well, I, Bubba, any of the Bubbas could have said any of these. All right, how about this one? You can't count old Bubba out. There's no telling what that kid's going to do. Uh, that's Blackwall. That is Blackwall while he was recovering from his bad crash, where people thought he was going to die. Um, all right, how about this one? I want to thank the AMA. This is such an honor. Out of all the things I accomplished in my career, this is the best part. This is like winning the ultimate championship. It's amazing. Um, probably Bubba Stewart. That is correct. I'm being inducted into the AMA Hall of Fame where you already reside. All right, we got two more. You're doing pretty good here. Let's see if you can get these last ones. The main thing is, if you get a passion for something, just keep on going. Life is a one-lap race. Just enjoy it while you're here. Um, Blackwell. That is correct. 
I love that. Life is a one lap race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. All right. Here's the last one. The race was in the rain and the super bike was a lot more maneuverable than the GP bikes. It was the slowest race I ever raced in and I won. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's me. <laughs> that's correct. In fact, you want to tell us about that? That's an interesting story. <coughs> well, um, I, I forget. I think I qualified fourth. And, and it was actually, it was the Formula One race. They didn't, they had it separate from the Superbikes. In the Formula One race, you could get points for your the Grand National Championship. You know, it was still consists of five, uh, the, the, let's see, the five, well, four different dirt tracks and, and then the road race. It was mm-hmm. Short track, TT, half mile, mile, and road race. And that was how you won the Grand National Championship. Right. But, you know, and when I came. I was going to say, and there's only been four people to do this. And, and when, I, when I, I was coming up, they were talking about doing, doing the road race separate from the Grand National Championship. Mm. You know, so in 84, I guess, was the last year. Mm-hmm. And, and I had a, I'd had a. Uh, well, when I had a incident where I got suspended um, for for uh, punching Terry Poovy, and I had to and I and I had to set I had to set out like uh, nine races. That's a big wow. suspension for one punch. Nine races, which which actually um, a couple of them uh, were on this road race and dirt tracks were on the same weekend. I wouldn't have been able to do them both anyway, but, but still nine races and, uh, and Honda give me the opportunity to that extra bike because, uh, I guess they had just ran Suzuka or something. And it was, it was, uh, it was a eight fifty super bike, which a super bike class was seven fifty. So I could race in the, the formula one and try to get some, some points, you know. So, and that so was sure, against I'll two strokes it. then, the Formula One, or was it against four strokes? No, no. A lot of them were the uh, two strokes. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, Mike Baldwin and uh, even Wayne Rainey, and mm-hmm. they rode the, uh, I don't know if it's called the NSR 500 mm-hmm. yep. or what. Yep. But uh, <clears throat> I was, um, I qualified uh, fourth in the dry, you know, and I was like, I was really pumped for that race. Of course, we we qualified the, on Saturday, and the race was on Sunday. And got up Sunday, and it was pouring down rain. And I was like, "God, oh, man, I, I had a chance of getting some points." And and now it's raining, you know. Where was this at? Which track? At Mid Ohio. Yeah, we know the we know yeah, that track. Yeah, which nobody likes riding there in the rain, you know. <laughs> yeah, they were, <laughs> and uh, so. Anyway, the race started in the rain, and uh, I was just hanging in there. And uh, Baldwin, I think, was in front of me. And at the end of the straightaway, bike just it wouldn't turn, and he just hydroplaned right off and <sighs> fell down. And, and then I was I was just sliding around the corners, and like <laughs> I, I, like I thought you were supposed to. Dirt tracking, then, yeah. Them, them guys are like, "Wow, I can't believe you're going so fast," you know. But, and I ended up winning, so huh. that was. I, well, I was a lot a lot faster in the rain then 
than I was after I learned how to road race. Oh. <laughs> well, I find it interesting because there's so many racers now who are being sent to flat track camp to learn how to flat track. I slide rear end. But this yeah. is something that has been proven to be um, a useful skill on, on road right. racing is all the people coming from flat track. I'm surprised that this is like hasn't been something that everyone just does. Well, the the tire technology is so much better than it was mm. back in my day. You know, like in my day, the road racers didn't have to know how to how to slide. You know, they would just go as fast as they could uh, with on two wheels. You know, but but like when Kenny and Eddie and then Wayne and all, mm. they kind of you know showed everybody, hey, you, you need to slide them bikes. You know, and and then we, when I was training at Kenny's, um, we, he had a group of Japanese and, uh, also some guys from England that would come over there and try to short track with us. And they were like, man, I, they said, they, they didn't know how we could, how we did that without crashing, you know, how you, how can you slide a bike? And, and Kenny worked with them. And I think that, uh, that improved a lot, but like I say now the, the tire technology has come so far that like you, you can get in sl- a slide on a on a street bike and you don't crash where where before once you got one little sideways if you didn't know how to ride it you you'd go down well and i wanted to ask you speaking of going down like um do you have any i mean other than the crash i mean we, we'll get to that later there's you, you know famous yeah. crash just like wayne rainey had a famous crash you know right. but i'm just wondering throughout your career did you have many crashes did you have many injuries um well i i don't know now nowadays i get up and i'm i feel like man i i don't remember hurting that bone before <laughs> but, <laughs> but. Just so, no, I, just to remind you, Bubba, you and me are the same age, so I know exactly yeah. where you're coming from. You wake up and you're like, "Shit, my body didn't feel like this when I went to bed. What the hell happened?" Yeah, yeah. and then all them uh, crazy commercials you you see on TV. Now you're starting to pay attention to them. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, I want to get one of those cubies that you can work with your feet. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm not, no, I, I really didn't. I, I broke um, in dirt track. Um, you know, I, I like sprained an ankle or injured a thumb or something here and there. And I, I did uh, at Peoria. I broke my uh, my humerus, which the upper Ooh. bone in your arm, which is second largest bone in your body. Yeah, and that's <laughs> no laughing matter when you break that. Ha ha ha! And uh, and it was it was at the time that that was in. Uh, 81 i believe it was and it wasn't like doctors do nowadays where they just automatically put a plate and screws you know they they didn't put no screws or plates or anything i just had to wear a heavy cast that would would hold the bone uh, down it was it was like this and then it pulled it down so it would line up and uh I i was out for it happened i think in july and i was out for the rest of the season so 
Yeah, but I know that that's a thing, especially, you know, back in the day, hear stories about people breaking bones and then cutting their casts off to go do the yeah. race and stuff like that. Or I remember when Jim Rice was here and he told the story when he broke his shoulder by hitting that post in the middle of the track in a turn. Wow. And it's like, oh, but he held on to the bike and finished the race with <laughs> a broken shoulder. It's wow. like, oh, <laughs> you guys are such troopers back then, man. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it seemed like the. The guys nowadays just they're, they're just they don't know what pain is, you know. And, <laughs> and if it's if they have a you know a bad hair day, they just don't race, you know. <laughs> so, tell us about the transition from flat track to road racing, and how was that for you? And and what were you what were you road racing? I, yeah, I, th- I think you started out. Well, you can tell more, but I know you you did both um, MotoGP. 250s plus superbikes is that right or did you do it yeah yeah well well you know in in my amateur days i um, road race uh ta125 with uh freddie spencer oh wow it's um but the thing was and and i didn't really like i didn't i mean i liked the racing but you know we we only had only had one bike a ta125 and it was you could only ride in one class you know yeah. and you'd go to the races and you know how many classes of road race there is you'd sit around all day long and get to race once you know mm-hmm. and so i i chose not to do that you know but when uh, you know comparing to like freddie uh, he had four or five different motorcycles and he rode different classes all day long you know was he so, factory then or is he still privateer no he's still privateer yeah and uh yeah so I don't know if so that kind of made me and there there wasn't a whole lot of uh tracks around around where I'm I live and and so I I just chose to do the flat tracking. But then like I said in uh so I never did any um road racing uh, other than that TA one twenty five and then when I got um got with Honda and then they had a bike come available you know in 84 where i could ride the f1 class and get some extra points and that was the 500 no that well i was racing the 850s uh okay more like a a super bike okay Mm. right but against the 500s yeah yeah and i think um a couple of years ago we interviewed wes cooley and Wes, of course, made his name with Suzuki. And I mean, it's why I say you're always associated with Honda. Wes was always associated with Suzuki. But the last couple of years of his racing career, he'd made the switch to Honda with the same bike, the VFR that you were riding. Right. I, I think 83, he was on a VFR. So you you may have picked up that superbike sort of baton from wes yeah because uh i didn't race against west um i don't think no i think he 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 had his big crash 83 i want 83 83 was yeah. his big crash and like yours you know it, it was i i i did i hate to say the term career ending because it, it just changes what you do and I yeah. think that's how Wes regarded it. He's, he always kept a love of motorcycles in his heart, but it changed what he did. Right. Yeah, I, uh, 
you know, like my road race career, I did with Honda in 84 when they had that extra bike for me. But uh, my contract was to race dirt track for them. But uh, I think uh, then in 85, they they gave me a, an old super bike and I, I continued to race race it in the super bike class. Mm-hmm. But I, I put together a team on my own. So it was outside of the factory. You know, they give they give me the bike, but I had a I had to hire a mechanic and right. <laughs> and did you yeah. like Superbike? I mean, you're a pretty diminutive guy, um, and of course, you're hustling these Superbikes around. Um, would you have preferred to stay with Dirt Track, or are you like, yeah, this is where I want to be at? Well, I don't know. I, I kind of always like the Dirt Track racing, as far as the. I mean, it's handlebar to handlebar and yeah. not so much racing the track, you know. Right. And uh, I don't know. I, I probably would, but I, always, but I always seen more of a future in the road racing, you mm-hmm. know. And, and after I won the Grand National Championship a couple of years and then, and then with AMA doing what they did to Honda and they were kind of getting out of it. So I, that was pretty, pretty much, much what I had to do was go to motor gp so okay. so let's let's talk about that um yeah. what what the ama did to honda so as, as i understand it what honda did was what what the ama did was it restricted the honda's restrictor plates right? uh, through restrictor plates to make the harleys more competitive again do you, how was that for you and how did you feel about that yeah well i, I just thought it, it was crazy you know i thought you know you try to get a company in here to make uh, yeah. dirt track racing more exciting you know because yeah, I mean the, the Harleys were good, but what is what's what is it going to a race and only seeing one brand out right. there, you know? So, but anyway, and Honda spent was spending the money to do it, and like I said, AMA told them said, "Well, if you want to race Grand National, build a seven fifty. So, so they did, and you know, of course, Honda, you know, most manufacturers want to get better each year, right? But Harley was still racing this seventy. 1972 model right but you I mean did, it sure had some improvements but it was still basically the same yeah still designed in 72 and and then anyway um but but getting to the you know after we started winning and all and honda our um harley was complaining and ama said okay you guys you're going to have to run restrictors so so we did and put researchers on and, and actually it some some of the tracks have made them a, a lot better, and and we could we were still winning. Actually, that brings up. I have a question for you. I would like to know what were some of your favorite tracks and least favorite tracks. Um, probably my well, my favorite tracks was the miles, but I I mm-hmm. really liked uh, San Jose. Mm, right. There's a mile like in San Jose. San- there used to be. Oh wow! Yeah. Ask Jim Rice about it. Yeah, San Jose Mile, <laughs> famous track. Yeah, and uh, I liked San Jose, and I liked uh, uh, Coin and Indianapolis was always a good one. And uh, but probably the the tracks I, I didn't like the most were were the Ohio half miles. You know that they became they became more follow the leader type mm, thing. Right. There's really no no passing or anything and and uh so but no no particular track really you know 
So you had a famous battle with uh, with Parker, correct? I think it was in 88, where there was a point, di- only it was a point different. Tell us about that year and what that was like with, with that battle. Yeah, well, well, going back to the restrictors, you know, they made Honda have restrictors. And then they came up with, uh, a year later, since they thought the restrictors didn't do anything, the Hondas had to weigh 20 pounds more wow. than the Harleys. And it's like, like horse racing. Wow. Yeah. And then, and then that, uh, so you had to eat a lot of pie. <laughs> well, no, it didn't, it didn't matter how much I weighed <laughs> just the bike. Oh, oh I see. <laughs> and, and then, then at, um, at, uh, Syracuse after the race, you know, they'd weigh the bikes and my, my bike was half a pound, um, under the limit. Oh no. You know, and I, not to, not, I mean, if you, I guess if you'd, you're not legal you're not legal but you know i mean I, I won the race by half a straightaway and then and what was bad about it was we had ama had some scales and riders you know you could check your bike all day long and uh we we checked our bike every time and it was we had five pounds to spare you know so what, then, <laughs> what were you shedding <laughs> well i don't know i I don't know if it was their their scales were different. Like some guys would roll it up on the scale and then show three twenty, and then they'd roll off the scale, roll it around, roll it back up. Then it'd be three pounds difference, you know. And uh, it was like, wow, you know, they, not not to talk bad about Walmart, but <laughs> but you know, I mean, some of them scales aren't really worth what you pay for them, <laughs> right? So, but anyway, and. I came up a half a pound light, so they they disqualified me. So and, you lost those points. And that, and that, yeah, and we was like we had two, uh, I think two races after that one. And at that race, uh, Parker actually blew up, so I would have got had points yeah. up on him, you know. But right. but anyway, anyway, then the next two races, he he beat me fair and square, you know. So I don't know if I just wasn't into it or, or what I knew I was going to MotoGP the next year. So, so when you went to MotoGP, we were racing, I know you raced a 250. Did you race the bigger bikes also? Um, I never, I don't, well, I did race a 250 and that was in 88 mm-hmm. at, uh, Laguna. Right. And that was on, uh, uh, we put together a team with camel mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. but with, uh, uh, Bob McLean and Tim O'Sullivan, they put a team together and we got Camel to, to back us. And, and I got a, uh, actually it was the year old, but it was a works bike from mm-hmm. Honda. And uh, that that was my 250 ride. And it was, that was a pretty exciting race, you know, because I qualified, I qualified 16th. So I was on the, the fourth row. Wow. I guess. I guess they did four riders per row. So I was on the fourth row and I don't know, but I led the first lap, you know, <laughs> was that the first I time led. on that bike? Oh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Laguna is quite the track, isn't right. it? Uh-huh. This is our local track and a lot of heroes are made at Laguna. If you can tame a, a, a lightweight 250 down the corkscrew, that's you, you are quite the guy. Especially when you're fresh. Yeah, I, 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 I did. I liked it. So I got a question for you. 
Uh, you know, your career wasn't that long. It was cut short, but you really made a name for yourself and you won a lot. I'm curious, what do you attribute your success to? Because not just, you know, I mean, it's not just having a skilled racer and, and, and having the smarts to, you know, to race, but you got to have a mechanic and a good bike and a team. So what do you attribute your success to? Um, well, I, I think, um, of course, I, I really wanted it, and, and uh, I just had a, a good family and some friends, and I don't know, and I just came up at the right time, and, you know, I was, everything's, you know, it's not just one person, I don't think, so mm-hmm. I don't know what I can, I can just say, I don't know, it was just, it was just like I had a whole package as far as friends, family, and then, you know, I always did, my dad taught me how to uh, handle business and I was always had a good relationship with Honda and with other sponsors. So that's, um, that's really what I contribute to. So I, I don't want to go into too much detail because it seems like every interview, everyone asks you about, you know, your career ending crash, but, um, you did have a, a crash, uh, here at Laguna Seca and, uh, it, it was pretty bad and luckily yeah. you have recovered. Um, fully, did did fully? you see that um, that podcast I done with uh, Peter Starr? I did. Yes. And, yeah. <laughs> and but I, I have a question for you. In, in this crash, um, you were racing. Uh, you were finish. Uh, let's see the 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 cold lab. The you know the race is the, over. Yeah, cold lab. And you and uh, Kevin Schwantz were kind of shoulder to shoulder riding. Eddie and Lawson, I think. Lawson, uh, yeah, it was Eddie Lawson. Eddie Lawson. Sorry. And you had uh, yeah. uh, a, a rider who, on the track who had stopped on the track, McGee. And this is a debate we've been having here in the garage, and I would like you to to answer for us. Uh, Our debate is, whose fault was it? Because I say he never should have stopped on the track. Well, that's that's what I, you know, that's what everybody says, you know, shouldn't shouldn't have stopped on the track and all. But I kind of, you know, I don't put a a total blame on him because I, 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 I should have been paying more attention well yeah you and eddie lawson were communicating yeah. riding side by side communicating you know, and, and, and it was it was from what i've seen of it it was there's the grace of god i mean you yeah. hit him lawson literally just a hair's breath misses the wreck yeah because you and lawson mm. are side by side so it could right. easily have been him and you just go whoosh, through yeah well and just to, yeah. add, to add to it he did not stop because his bike stopped he stopped to do no. a burnout for the, yeah, for the crowd a burnout time. well it's, it's that testosterone stuff <laughs> it's yeah. it's the youth and testosterone right now i would yeah i was thinking because because see what what happened was he uh, mcgee was running third and lawson was fourth and uh lawson passed him on the last lap mm-hmm. you know so it was kind of like and he we were we're kind of on the back side of the track and it was like he i don't know like he was burning his tire off because he was going to say his tire you know the reason he didn't mm. so he would have an excuse that that's what i always thought but right um, but i it looks like i mean you obviously got an injury um lawson unscathed and i think mcgee broke his leg oh yeah it was, yeah it's it obvious in the video yeah, so, um, but 
rather than focus on that, just like um, we did with Wes, you've stayed very much, you keep, you've kept motorcycles in your heart since then, and you've done different stuff. Yeah. And tell us about what you've done since then, because this is yeah. very, very cool. Well, well, let's go let's go back to the crash, you know. I mean, it would say it was his fault, but I, I I know he wasn't doing it to hurt anybody. Oh yeah. And then then it, it happened, you know, and and uh but Lawson was Lawson, you know, he's pretty good friends with me and he still talks about it and uh it's hard on him because he he said he'd seen that McGee had done some crazy things and about took him out a few different times. Mm. And so he was, he was really angry with McGee, but, but then, so, so this was in uh, 89. Yeah. Well, in, in 90, they, the Grand Prix comes back to Laguna and, and me and me and Kevin McGee, we, I don't have no trouble with him at all. we, he went and uh, we went deep sea fishing together mm. and stuff. Like I, I don't hold nothing against him, you know. So no, and, no years of therapy to get over that. No, <laughs> no. That that's big of you. And and how long did it take you to recover? Because, um, like we interviewed, um, uh, you know, Craig Vetter after his accident, and he stills never quite recovered. That's a hard thing, and and. Uh, how long did it take you to, to get back well, up and, and having a life again? Well, I, it takes um they, they say you're you you'll have major improvement the first two years after a head injury. Yeah. But then after that it gets real, real slow. And and so I guess it it, it was three or four years before I really right. got to it, you know. Yeah, and, like I am. <laughs> and if we compare you with Craig Vetter. You suffered this injury as a 27-year-old man. Yes. Craig right. was 70. Right. And, yeah. it, it, you know, Carol Vetter, Craig's wife, has said over and over again, it's just time. There's only so much time left. And your body's going to recover from an injury at 27 a lot easier than it is at 70. Correct. So, yeah. and I mean, here you are, 40... Years later, thirty-five years later, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, you string a sentence together pretty well. <laughs> yeah, you seem all right to me. <laughs> well, I have to talk slower now. <laughs> well, I think I think that's a, a lot of that's the Texan drawl there, Bubba. Yeah. yeah. But you know, and so, you can't help but wonder if that had him happened with you know as good as he was doing in, in his career. If we wouldn't be calling him King Bubba now, King Bubba, <laughs> you know. Well, well, I, I don't know if I could ever get that King away from <laughs> King Roberts. Yeah, well, you know, he's he's quite protective of it. You know, he kind of holds that name like a baby. So, so yeah. back to Emma's question: what what was like once you recovered? What yeah. was what have you been doing since then? Yeah. Um. Well, um, my wife and I we go we go on adventure rides and. Uh, we we've got that uh, once a year. We've I've uh, got a ride that I've um, started doing in Tombstone, Arizona. Okay. With, uh, oh. I got a, a friend. His name is Ike Clanton, and he's a mem- He's he's uh, related to the the Clantons. At, Tombstones. <laughs> the Tombstone. Yeah. Yeah. And he owns a business there, and uh, 
he rides motorcycles and he's he's um he's became a good friend and we go every year uh to tombstone and do an adventure ride and and uh we've it's been pretty successful i uh last last year i think we had i had kenny and eddie and no fun and, oh, and even wow. even had uh, had wayne come there and uh wayne rode in the side by side with his wife yeah. and followed us around and we had a great time and what were you riding um i was riding the the first year i was riding a ktm 390 adventure and then nice. then uh i've got a uh a, a z650 rs okay. yep. which which is a street bike and and this ride is like 50 50 you know um, <laughs> dirt roads and then <laughs> and then asphalt but uh i don't know i i like that that 650 is it's short and i can touch the ground on it and mm-hmm. It, it, the dirt's not really that rough, so it's, it's so, been a lot of fun. I'm just curious, uh, how long after your accident did it take for you to be able to ride again? Um, I, I was riding probably probably two or three years after. Right. That's great. And like we talked about that poster that was my introduction to you when I was pretty fresh <laughs> off the boat. And that was very early 90s. Um Yeah. And they obviously, I remember the shot because it was a big poster and the bike was filmed from behind. And there you are, you're perched on the bike and you, you look like you're going pretty fast. And it's, I a, think, uh, it's a back I three quarter that, shot. I think that year, I don't know if it was 90 or 91 that I yeah. did that. That sounds about right. Um, well, and, and, Afterwards, uh, you uh, you got into like managing teams. I know a lot of racers do that. Uh, you know, you giving your knowledge to new racers. Who were some of the new racers that you helped bring up? Are there any that you got your hand in? Well, um, Wayne Rainey, he had a, a mm-hmm. two fifty team here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and he, he hired me to to manage that team. And uh, the riders were um, Kenny Jr. Wow. Yeah. And and Rich Oliver. Oh yeah. And wow. uh, so I, I did that team. Um, and uh, San, Sandy Rainey, Wayne's dad, was the uh, was the chief mechanic, mm. and uh, we always got along great. So I don't know. I did that team, and then I guess I guess that wasn't until that was maybe in two thousand five, I think. Because, because I did some, I know not, I don't know the dates, but yeah. it, anyway, I, I did some uh, stuff for Honda, even even sooner than that. But I was like just involved in in making a, appearances at dealerships and stuff. Now, when you were done with that, did you go back to the family business to beef jerky? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, um, my dad had that beef jerky business going and, and, uh, you know, I, I thought I knew how to do it better than he did. I thought he was, he was, I thought he was old school. He needed to get computers in involved for the marketing side of it and, and things like that. But, um, I, I did that for a while and then, uh, he decided, yeah, he, he was, he was ready to retire. And I said, well, I'm, I'll keep, I'll keep it going. And I kept it going for maybe a year or two, and then I I said, "Nah, just just 
way too much work for the amount of money I'm, I'm making. So, <laughs> but I just wanted to point it out. It's pretty cool that the the family business that afforded him the luxury to to race when he was right. young and to keep yeah. him going was there when he was done to give him a job. And how fortunate you are to have that. Not just that that. That I mean, that family and that support system, well, how it's, big it's that the, is. It's the safety net. It is. It's the safety net. It yeah. is. So, oh, well, and speaking of, of the beef, I got a, a quick question for you. Before you came on, we were talking about meals you can cook on a motorcycle. And I'm just curious, <laughs> since you're you're a meat guy, I'm assuming you're a, are you a beef guy. Is there, have uh, you ever cooked on a motorcycle? No. No. <laughs> okay. You mean you mean like the little the little cookbox that John has on his, his <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like what if you could, like what would do you think would be a good meal that you could cook on your motorcycle? Are you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah you both. Oh, yes. Yeah, can you throw can you cook a steak on a motorcycle? <laughs> nah, I don't believe you can. I, I think um, I, I think um you might be able to roast a weenie. You know? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so when you look at motorcycle racing today um, and, and across the board, what are you excited about and what riders, you know, do you, are you excited about when you watch them? Um, you know, I, I probably don't keep up with it near as much as I should, but, uh, but I just, I mean, they're all, they're spectacular. You know, I know they have, the technology, the tires are better, and and uh, they have um, what do they call them? Uh, ABS, and yeah. they have oh, yeah. different stuff. But I don't, I don't take anything away from them guys that are the top guys doing that because they are still some spectacular riders, you know, doing the what they're doing and right. dragging their elbows and stuff. I mean, it's it's, it's quite impressive. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I just have. Uh, I hate this, you know, you, you like to think that, oh, I wish I could get out there, right, race with them, but, but it's a whole different era. Well, again, Bubba, you made such a name for yourself. I mean, you were the guy for a while there. Um, I, I could only find, are, how many Hall of Fames are you in? I found at least three. Uh, uh, yeah, probably three. Found the AMA Motorsports and the Hot Shoe. Hall of Fame. Okay. Yep. That's oh, pretty yeah. cool. So which which one is your your biggest accomplishment? Which which what what's the thing you're most proud of? You know, um that Motorsports Hall of Fame. I'm really proud of. Mm. And uh you know, it's mostly cars. Yeah. But they have uh they have one uh, one what I don't know what category what for motorcycles. One category yeah, yeah. for motorcycles and uh You're in it. And then we we went to that event, and uh, it was in G- Detroit at the time when I got inducted in that, and and it was it was it was pretty neat. I mean, I just you know I got inducted at the same time as Bill Elliott, you know, and I was like, oh wow, you know, he was like my hero or something, you know, and so I don't know. I never I never really see myself as a hero like those guys are. But I, I sure I am to some kids. Well, you are to a lot of people, well, Bubba. You yeah. know, we've had, over the years, we've had a few 
what I would call true champions on the show, and I'm including you in that number. And there's a commonality between all of them. And there's a humility to it. And I'm not talking about the guys who are at the back of the pack saying, oh, yeah, I'm great, I'm great. You're not there. The guys who are truly fast and truly made an impact on the sport and are truly remembered, there's... There's a humility to them, which I see in you, right. which is, it's, it's, it's wonderful to see. I mean, you are an absolute champion through and through. Well, in fact, he's going to be the honoree at the Quail on May 6th. Can we buy you a drink? Because we're all yeah. going. So we'll come looking for you and buy you a gin and tonic. How about that? that that's, that's real. I'm le- looking forward to that. You know, I used to ride uh, down the coast with... Uh, with Gordon. Oh, yeah. Hall. Yeah, we used to ride down to, to Big Sur and, mm-hmm. and all. Um, and we'd do it early in the mornings when there wasn't no traffic. Right. And, and uh, it, it was it was fun. We'd just... Uh, well, you know, it's, yeah. a, it's a beautiful neck of the woods. And the quail... The quail is a unique event. I mean, there's nothing like it in the world. It's... Um, the bikes are fantastic. The people are great. It, it's a really special event. And um, it'll it'll be lovely to see you there. Oh, great! Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, my I've uh, I've told uh, Gordon. I said, well, if you if you can, I'd, I'd like to meet uh, Clint Eastwood. I've, I've met him before, <laughs> but I'd like to shake his hand again. And, uh, and I said, I'm going to have my 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 son and his wife and my uh, my new grandson, which mm-hmm. just. This came in November. Oh, so congratulations. Yeah, congrats. And my, my son's name is Clint, so he was named after Clint Eastwood. And it was, <laughs> ah, well, there it is. There you are. Well, you know, Clint used to have a bar in Carmel called Hog's Breath Inn. I think he sold it now. Um, but he's, he's still around. He's, like a lot of um, people, I don't think Carmel by the Seas is only home. He, he shares, you know, he bops around the country. But yeah. um yeah, I I hope you get to meet him again. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I'd like to introduce my son to him that I named after him. So <laughs> that is that is awesome. Well, I wanted to thank you for coming on our show. We're looking forward to meeting you at the Quail Motorcycle Gathering in May. And um yeah, it's gonna be such a great event. And uh yeah, congratulations on being you know, recognized again for your accomplishments. You must get tired getting all this acclaim all these years later. No, no, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. But I can re- I can remember, you know, some of the stories when, when I lived in Carmel Valley, you know, and and uh I got to be friends with Reggie Jackson. Oh and, yeah. Uh, and we we'd go eat me and him went to a steakhouse one night, you know, and we're sitting there eating and she, everybody that got up in that restaurant, when they come by our table, they ask him for his autograph, you know, <laughs> and uh, I was saying, man, I, I was saying, man, I wish that was me. You know, I wish that was- <laughs> <laughs> and here you are. Well, maybe you could autograph Liza's yeah. Africa twin. That would be great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I, but actually um, I went to uh, uh, Japan uh, uh, early in my career, and uh, I was in a grocery store and uh, getting something for the for the um, for the pits, you know, and to hang out and eat. And 
And uh, this lady said, oh, mama, show her, you know? And I thought, <laughs> how does she know who I am, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but that just, you know, and that was in Japan, you know, that's, I guess, where they don't have all the, or they didn't have all the other stars and uh, basketball and football and everything. So right. people, motorsports racing was one of the top things there. Honda, so. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Honda's a big deal. And, um, yeah, it's funny you mention Reggie because Reggie is quite the motorcyclist. And um, he's got he's got a small collection, which I take care of for him. Yeah. The, um, that RC30 yep. was, was my bike, and I sold it oh. to him. So. What? Oh, wow. That's cool. How funny. Uh, I you remember worked on, you worked on, on that, Yeah, I've worked <laughs> on the RC30. So that was yours. Yeah. Yeah, it's got seized front brakes now. Mm-hmm. It needs new. Yeah. It needs new brake lines. The actual rubber hoses have collapsed inside, so we've got. Oh, to, wow. I've got to try and find some original brake hoses because I don't want to put um, braided steel ones on. I want to keep yeah. the original look. Yeah. So, but that was yours. Well, 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 yeah. well, well. Yeah, he's still and got it, that it, bike. He's got the. Was a, sorry, it was a Canadian a Canadian model. They didn't even have it. It wasn't mm. even offered in the U.S. that right. year. Not until the following year, I think it was offered over here, but I, I bought it from a friend of mine that was up in Canada, was able to get it. So Right. He's got he's got the RC thirty, he's got the Yamaha W O one, he's got a couple of four hundreds, he's got the C B R four hundred, which I very much like. And then uh he's got a little Yamaha four hundred. I think he's got a trail 70 in there, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. He's, he's got <laughs> yeah. a ton of yeah. like, weird stuff. He likes weird stuff as well as, <laughs> as the superbikes. Nice. But, yeah, he's yeah. still going strong. Reggie's the same as he always has been, you know. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. And we encourage anyone yeah. who can come on out to the quail. Will you be signing autographs? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, Gordon's got me set up uh, one day couple hours and uh, i don't know when it is but i guess it'll be on saturday i guess i guess fr- it'll be fr- on friday saturday we do friday we do the ride mm-hmm, the quail ride sat- saturday's the show and you know on saturday night i'm uh, invited to a dinner yes um, we we've broken into the dinner Yes. <laughs> so you've crashed the dinner. We've crashed the dinner. So if, <laughs> if there's a commotion at the door and you see all these large bouncers <laughs> heading towards the door, yeah, that'll rescue. be us trying to get in. Rescue us, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I'll maybe I'll have an extra pass. I'm slipping. Ah, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. awesome. Thank you. All right, thanks, Bubba. Awesome. Well, thank you. We'll see you soon. Okay. Thank you, guys. All right, all right see Bubba. Enjoy. Good night. Take care. Wow, what a cool guy, huh? Yeah, lovely, lovely interview. But I stand by what I say. When you get a true champion on the show, there, there's some, there's an air about them that's that's very, very nice. Guess who joined us in the middle of all that? The Bagler. The Bagler. Yeah, Bagler. <clears throat> Fresh off the road. Yeah, how was it, Bagel? I was good. Oh, yeah, I took took a trip up to Astoria. Bagel got and, a thing. Uh, I got did. Bagel, bagel got a thing. I, I picked up a thing along the way. Oh, um, tell us. So, so I've I've told you before about the the Bajaj scooters that that I've gotten into. So I I keep an eye out for Bajaj parts online, and and yes. uh, I found on eBay a Bajaj motor that was being auctioned off, and the, the one fifty. 
Uh, yeah, Judge 154 stroke. Oh, oh, and, okay. Uh, and back up there, right up there, is a Bajaj yeah. 150 frame <clears throat> without the engine that I ah. bought for 50 bucks with a title. <clears throat> and I figured that, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got all the other parts for it except the engine. So if I could find another engine, I could put that in there and I've got a running bike. And so I saw this engine on eBay and figured, well, I should bid on that. And um, so the auction, you know, was, was watching it as it was going on. There were no bids on it. And I was thinking, hmm, I might get this pretty cheap. There's nobody really interested in it. So I was watching it and watching it. And then the auction was getting ready to end. So I put a bid in on it right, right at the end. And I was the only bidder. <gasps> and the opening bid was 99 cents. So I got <laughs> the engine for 99 cents. Now they, they put a shipping cost on there for 250, ah, hoping that they could they got something you. and get a little bit back. There's but, the I was like, but there was a pickup option. So I said, Oh, I'm nearby. I'll pick it up. <laughs> so you got cents. an engine yeah. for 59 cents. 99. 99 cents. Wow. Yes. Yeah, now, running. Tell running us about engine. tell us about our story. That that's a sh- uh, a little port town, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah, it's the northeast coast of Oregon. Um, I was actually just below there in Seaview. Uh, I was visiting a friend up there for the weekend. And, okay. Uh, had, had a lovely time. Beautiful area. So what first time you I'd ever missed, we were talking about meals we could cook on various motorcycles. Oh, we missed that yes. conversation. Uh-huh. And we talked about um, what meal you should cook on a Royal Enfield Himalayan. And mm-hmm. I, of course, said uh, chi- uh, lamb vindaloo. Mm-hmm. What do you think on a bajaj? So you can't have vindaloo. You think chicken tikka masala? I, you know, it would be really tough to cook on a bajaj because the engine is tucked right up underneath the the middle of the frame. Oh, well, I you know, need something you know, self-contained, no, like an onion. You, onion. You need something very. Oh, you know what you could do? Yes, you could take some naan. Cut it in half, wrap it in tinfoil, and stick it on either side of the exhaust. See, I'm thinking tandoori oven. It's almost like, oh, yeah, it's almost like a tandoori oven. It, it is a tandoori oven on wheels. That's yeah. perfect. <laughs> Very nice. Tandoori chicken a la bajaj. <laughs> Bagel, yes. have, have you ever cooked and on a scooter? I have not. But Ooh. I will say that, that the Heinkel puts out a tremendous amount of heat. And if you strapped a couple of bratwursts and, and a Aha. little pouch of sauerkraut on the side of the exhaust, that, that would be done in like 20 minutes. Fantastic. And Bagel, you, you, know, you missed our German guests who were here. Today. Yeah, yeah, Yes, I yeah. did. I'm so yeah. sorry I didn't make it in time. But apparently we've been told that your accent is quite authentic. <laughs> yeah, because ah, I you. always make you read his emails. <laughs> he, he approved. <laughs> yes. He approved. Oh, cool. And Bagel, <laughs> you, you have some <laughs> other news. I do? Oh, yes. Yeah, about your other Heinkel. Yes, I am going to be showing my Heinkel parallel moped at the One Show this year. What? Congratulations. Very cool. Thank you. That I'm very... Perla, it's... Wow. Um, it, it, is, it is simultaneously my oldest and newest vehicle. Yes. Because it is, it's a 1957, and it has 2.8 miles on the odometer. Oh, it is wow. brand what? new. Yep. Yes. It's it's like it, it's been ridden like once maybe. Um, wow! How long it have is, you had it this? Is, uh, I've had this thing now for probably ooh, 13, 14 years. I think I never like seen it. I am proud to I, say I've never had it out. Yeah. I was custodian of that down at the Jameson for a couple of years. Ah. That's right, and it was so yeah. well received because there's nothing like it. It's yeah, quite no one's a ever thing. Seen these. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is a beautiful bike. It has a it is a cast lightweight aluminum alloy frame. Surely you mean aluminium. Aluminium. Yes. Thank you. And it, it it's it's super super lightweight. Um, oh, it's just a lovely it, little thing. Where did you yeah, find it, Bagel? Beautiful design. Uh, I found that on eBay actually. Oh wow! Uh, there was it was it was quite the the ordeal to get it because I uh, back in the days eBay was a little bit clunkier, and I was watching the auction and I was gonna I put a bid in on it and somebody outbid me and I was like, damn! Mm. But I got I got to have this. I got to have this bike. So I figured I'd snipe it at the last second. So I was, I was up, I was like, all like, just my adrenaline was going at the, at the, at watching the seconds tick down. And at like, I don't know, like 10 seconds, I, I put a bid in on it uh, to out, outbid the person that outbid me. And eBay logged me out. Oh, no. I was like, oh, panic. Oh, no. And I'm like trying to log back in and I mistype my password and it, and it doesn't let me in. And I finally get in and I refresh the page and the auction ended. And I was like, no. Oh, no. <laughs> So in a panic, I wrote to the seller and I was like, I was going to bid on your auction. I'll, I'll, I'll pay more for it than the other guy was going to pay. Please. I just need to buy this bike. Please. Is there any way I can get it? And the seller was like, sorry, the other guy won it fair and square. But if you want to write to him and ask him if he'd be willing to sell it, you know, you could try. And I said, hmm, okay, let me try. And I wrote to the other guy and uh, he wrote back and he said, how much would you like to offer? Oh, and I, I thought, ooh. One I've got million a chance. dollars. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he he got it for seven sixty, and the years started started turning in my head, and I was like, mm, I don't want to spend too much on it, but would you take a thousand? And he wow. wrote back, he's like, okay. Yeah, he <laughs> made money awesome. for doing nothing. So I sent him the money, and he notified the seller, and the seller uh, I arranged with the seller to have it shipped to me. So then I got the bike. There you go. And yeah. I've it's it's good time for me to share my news because alongside oh. the Perla. Yes. I will be exhibiting at the one show again this year, three for three. And this year, I am so excited. Do you know what I'm taking? I do. Yes. The Goozy. Yes. And, you know, I I built that Goozy years ago. I was strolling through Facebook, and I Mm -hmm. built that thing eight years ago. Such a beautiful bike. I remember. And it needs to go. It needs to go to the one show. Yeah. So. um, And didn't didn't you sell that bike and then bought it back again later? So. To Craig. Well. When I first <laughs> opened Mototown two years ago, can you believe it's two years ago now? Wow. Yeah. yeah. I, everyone told me Mototown was going to be a roaring success, but the only person who really wasn't sure about that was me. And I sold the Goozy. And the moment it rode away, and I, I didn't want to sell it to a stranger. I right. wanted to sell it to somebody I knew. And kept I it in the family. Kept it in the family. And Craig made me a very fair offer for it. And I regretted it the moment it rode away. But frankly, the amount of money it gave me in the bank at the time was far more important than owning the bike. And, you know, Mototown has has served me quite well. I'm not a millionaire. It's never going to make me a millionaire, but it's a living. And it showed up down at the Misfits, what, about six months ago. Mm -hmm. And I thought, my God, I miss this bike. And there's so much of me in it. And I said to Craig, and he mentioned he was selling it, and I said, well, I know I sold it to you very, very cheaply. If you really think you can get a great deal more for it, you know, by all means, sell it. However, I'll always give you back what you paid for it. And he obviously thought about it for a couple of weeks, and he said, yep, 
That's he's, great. he's a stand-up guy and he sold it yep. back to me for exactly what he paid for it um oh and i'm so glad to have that thing back in my life and it's it's green and metal flaky and loud you know, and i normally don't like green <laughs> nasty but i like that green yeah um, yeah that is actually house of color green go mm. but it's the big it's a metal flake. flake too it's the yeah big it's, it's a bass boat flake in it yeah, it's yeah. a bass boat flake. When I uh, built my chopper and I was getting it painted, I wanted a big flake like that. And my painter wouldn't do it because he said it was a nightmare and his paint gun's cleaning it out. <laughs> oh, it is. It's an absolute <laughs> nightmare. So the process to paint the goozy, so if you go up to the one show and you see it, what we did was we um, laid on uh, a beige primer on the tank and then we painted the tank gold. And so it's a base color gold, a very, very soft gold, almost like what you call a champagne color. And then we laid on some very, very heavy gold flake, bass boat flake. And then we just started laying on the green, the house of color green. I think it's three coats of green till I just got the right amount of green. Said, right, stop, we're done. Put the graphics on it, put the black stripe on the tank, tons of clear, out the door we go. It's beautiful. Yes, yeah, I love that. I, I, have, I have a question. What exactly is the metal flake made of in the metal flake paint? It's flakes of aluminium. Ah, yeah. very, very thin. Yeah, it's very Neat. thin. Mm-hmm. And, you cool. know, it's the sky's the limit with paint. People have put mica in paint to give it a shine. People have put gold. You know, part wow. of the reason that reds are so expensive. You know, if you're buying car paint, you know, blues are... I think blues are the cheapest and greens are cheap and everything. But reds are always just twice or three times the price because there's actually gold used in part of the process. And, you know, it's a real old hot rodder's trick. If you want to make your paint pop, like back in the old days, they'd paint things baby blue metallic and just put a little bit of gold in there. And it really gives it that very, very old school vibe. Um, Hmm. I love paint jobs like that. Very nostalgic. Mm. Now, is, well, is that the paint that has the very, very fine metallic? Yes. Yes, that uh, stuff. That you know? stuff. You know, yes, when it comes I to metallics, I'm, I'm crazy for that big bass boat flake. But I love the really fine stuff as well. Yeah, and that's, me that's too. mica in there. That's mm. really, really fine, almost like grains of sand. It's fantastic. Mm. And it gives such a good sheen if you build up the clear on it. Well, congratulations to both of you. Yeah, we'll we're going to have a good time. Showing. Uh, well, and more than that, because um, you will be going up as well, of course, representing, yeah. doing a journalism thing. And Johnny. Yeah. Johnny. I'm going to be there. You better yeah. be. With bells on. Um, so we need to start talking about accommodations, bagler. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But first, let's talk about emails. Let's talk about sex, baby. You have an email let's there to read, Emma? You and me. This is from Eric Cork. Hey, Eric. Hey, Miss Fitz. Eric from WV. Is that West Virginia? Yeah. Mountain Mama. Take me home, <laughs> country roads. I'm finishing up the pre-riding season maintenance on my 1976 Suzuki TC100. Oh, what a lovely little bike. Um, I use it as a pit bike and to piss off the neighbours. It's great for pissing off the neighbours. <laughs> You wouldn't believe how much noise a 100cc two-stroke from Suzuki makes. It's a (laughs) two-stroke with a CCI, which stands for crankcase cylinder injection. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but requires about 24 ounces of oil for the gearbox and clutch. The service manual calls for either Suzuki transmission oil, SAE 20W40, or, I beg your pardon, either Suzuki transmission oil or SAE 20W40, both of which are unobtainium. Should I go for a he- with a heavier, warm viscosity 20W50? The bike has about 2250 miles on the clock. Is there any reason not to switch over to, say, synthetic oils such as AMS oil or stick with an SAE standard? Um, I know the additives used in newer oils have been known to add to clutch slippage, and this poor little 47-year-old 100cc motor struggles to carry my fat arse around as it is. <laughs> and I like the way he spelt arse, because he spelt it in the British way. Arse! <laughs> you Americans like to say ass, don't you? Well, we do. say arse. <laughs> um, what's the best option? Right, we're going to talk a little bit about oil. Let's talk about oil, because it can be quite confusing. And I'm going to paint, as always, I'm going to paint in very, very broad strokes. When you have a multi-weight oil, multi-weight oil means there are going to be two numbers involved. The most common is 1040, 2050, whatever. What that means broadly, when it is cold, the oil will behave as a 20-weight oil. When it is warm, it will behave as a 10-weight oil. That's how the numbers work. So let's extrapolate. His bike originally took 20W40. So that oil, when it was cold, behaved like a 20-weight. When it was hot, behaved like a 40-weight. Now, you can't get that oil anymore. You maybe never could in America. I can never recall seeing it. Or in England. But you can get 1040. And 1040, yes, it's going to behave like a 10 weight when it's cold, but your bike isn't cold for very long. It's really, it's all about having fun at operating temperature. So at operating temperature, the properties of a 2050 and a 10, a 2040 and a 1040 should be the same. So that's the one I choose. I wouldn't go for a heavier weight oil because it'll cause clutch slippage. You could try a synthetic oil, but here's the thing. Synthetic oils do not protect the engine more than mineral oils. What they do is they give you a longer service life. Mm. And on bikes like your Triumph, which have oil changes at six, 7,000 miles, right. you couldn't use a mineral oil because after about 3,000 miles the mineral oil will start to break down. So in order to stretch those oil changes for as long as possible, believe me, there are Toyotas on the road right now that have 15,000-mile oil changes. Can you believe that? And it's all thanks to synthetic oil. Is it better oil in terms of protection? No. Is it able to withstand longer mileages before it breaks down? Yes. So my advice to you, Eric from West Virginia, just get a good quality 1040. Make sure you use a motorcycle oil, not a car oil. Car oils, the difference between a motorcycle and a car, car has a dry clutch, motorcycle has a wet clutch. So if you use a car oil, if you go down and buy yourself some Castrol GTX 1040, you're going to cause the clutch to slip. So get a normal four-stroke, even though this is two-stroke, 
a four-stroke 1040 motorcycle oil. Pop it in the transmission. If you look at the transmission where you see the clutch, clutch circle, you know, the molding in the side of the casing for the clutch, you'll see a little bolt at about seven o'clock that's nowhere near anything and it's a hex with a screw head in the middle of it with a fiber washer behind it that's your level hold the bike up right pour the oil in the filler till it just starts drusling not dribbling drusling out of that hole put the screw back in you're done so is it safe to say on bikes like my klr or even the drz yes that doesn't call for synthetic oil it's a waste to put synthetic oil in there you can i mean yeah and it's it's never a bad thing to put synthetic oil in a bike it's never a bad thing but people get this weird notion that synthetic oil will save a bad engine or synthetic oil is better oil than mineral oil it is not when they're new they offer the same protection the difference being at three thousand miles mineral oil's done it's broken down it's it's you've used it all up you can stretch that interval to six seven thousand miles with synthetic oil yes ma'am i had heard something that maybe i didn't understand this correctly if your bike is used to uh, natural oil and that you put synthetic oil in that it can affect the seals somehow yeah I mean, what's the story with that no that there, there's there's a lot of hearsay about what your bike gets used to, and there is no getting used to it. I mean, bikes are machines, you know. They they operate at the same temperature. You might find that the temperature difference, if you use a synthetic, might be a couple of degrees lower. But if you put synthetic oil in it, it blows all its seals. It's because its seals were kind of old and hard and nothing to do with the oil. Yes, Bagel? Yeah. Also, I think that the thing that that is important to to look for for motorcycle oil is that it is non detergent. Yes. Uh, because that's that's the thing that will screw up your clutch if it's a detergent oil, which is often used in cars. Um, that that will make your clutch slip and burn out and do horrible things. Now, right. I always look for the JASO. Yeah. And, and that it. and that you do not want to mix with detergent and non detergent oil. Right. Just curious, Emma, if you can't afford new oil, but you want to strain it and reuse it, what what size uh, strainer, what cheese screen ball. do you use? So is what you do is, no, is you... Screen door? No, 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 no. You go down to Walgreens and you go into the hosiery department mm. and you buy some 30 Dernier women's tights. Yes. And mm. um, if you like cross-dressing, you can enjoy them first in the comfort of your own home. Don't stretch out your wife's high heels, though, because she will be very angry. That's why they call it cross-dressing, because it'll make your wife very cross. Anyway, once you're done playing around with the tights, you can strain the old oil through the tights. And then it'll... But get the 30 dernier, because the 20 is too sheer. When you put the... You know, when the chunks yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of transmission... See, I, knew, I knew you'd know. You yeah. always know the answer to these things. Yeah, exactly. Thank you, because I have some ATF that I need to filter, so I will use that. <laughs> yeah, so off off down to uh, Walgreens for you. All right, I think we have mm-hmm. time for one more email. John, what do you got there? Well, it seems like I pissed off half of Santa Cruz County. <laughs> well, well done, you! <laughs> uh, it says, come on, Stumpy. Hmm. <laughs> it's from Kelly from Scotts hey, Valley. Hey, Kelly! Hi, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> love you too buddy uh i'm a faithful listener 
and a Patreon subscriber. And I'd like to start a GoFundMe to sponsor a tutor to help Stumpy John learn how to pronounce Aptus. <laughs> Am he I did it wrong Aptus? Aptus? How do you say it? Aptos. 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 Whatever. If he, if he actually lives in Santa Cruz County, why do they sound like a tourist? Well, I'm not from here. How long have you lived here? Four and a half years. But mm. I don't live in Aptos. Or Aptos. Or Asses. I don't know. What do you call Aptos, it? Aptos, yeah. Oh, God. No. <laughs> Astos? I don't know. Oh, God. Oh, oh no. nasty business. <laughs> now you're going to get some hate mail. <laughs> way to go. The, the gangsters in, in Astos are going to come after me now. <laughs> well, what do you think about Bubba Schobert? Every inch a champion. Total man crush. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's. I see a lot of similarities between him and Wes. You know what I loved about him, though. I mean, we were trying to dance around talking about the, you know, no. the career-ending crash, and he had not uh, a mean bone in him about that. That's amazing. Because you will often find amongst racers, it's just accepted that this sport is dangerous. Yeah, and. The attitude is, yes, I was involved in this crash and it happened this way, but it could equally happen another way or it could happen another way. So, you know, it's just an accepted form. It's an accepted thing that you take on when you race motorcycles. It's a risk you take. Well, the interesting for me was, so he he ran a team... That had Kenny Roberts' kid yeah. on it. That was uh-huh. being wrenched by uh, by Wayne's dad, by Wayne Rainey's dad. That's a small world, yes, Sandy Rainey. Yeah. Well, it was a killer wrench. Yeah. I I love though, like I said, that he he didn't hold a grudge, but um, but also that he 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 sided with me and said that yes, he it was his fault, McGee's fault. He shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. I was right. Yeah. You like it when people side with you, don't you? Like <laughs> it, don't you? That was a good good. Uh, Argument. Is it an option not to side with her? <laughs> I, I think, you know, I think if you choose to argue with Liza, your options become very limited <laughs> very quickly. That's when you get the punch in the nuts. Hey, yeah. you want, hey, you want a bag of dicks, man. <laughs> <laughs> and just remember, we still have bags of dicks down here with the diarrhea ingredient in the gummies. So, um, oh, gosh. yes, eat, eat them while you can. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Hey, I love it. These Hall of Famers have such great stories. But also, also I want to give a shout out to uh, the Quail Motorcycle Gathering who helped uh, put that together for us since he's coming down and they reached out to us and said, did we want to do an interview? What makes me so happy about the Quail is over the years, we've had an interesting relationship Mm -hmm. with the Quail. And um, our relationship with them has not always been as good as it is now. And I'm very happy how it's how it's all turned out. It's a good thing you stopped me from going streaking at the last one. That and probably we, would have helped. We've been on our best behavior. As <laughs> well. well, you know, we do try. It's a, it's quite a posh event, yeah. so you know we really need to be on our best behavior for it. It's not it's not like the one show where we can actually kind of let our hair down yeah, a little bit. You, you really do have to mind optional. your p's and q's at the quail, but it's that kind of event, and you know. It's 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 an accepted risk of going. But. Uh, well, we're excited about everyone else's events. So we're not sure about our own. We're 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 going to try. Keep look. Stay it's going to happen. It is going to happen. I want to make this clear: the 
Misfits Rally is going to happen. It's going to be an extravaganza. It is going to be a golden shower of piss-poor entertainment. <laughs> but we don't know when. <laughs> we don't but know it when. But it is going It's like the Mavericks happen. thing. We'll give you 24-hour notice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we'll give you plenty of notice. But, you know, let's hope for the best. I think that Hollister, if, if we can just get done with this rain... Two or three good weeks, Hollister's going to recover enough that we can have a little bit of a rally there. That's not true. Yeah. But we, we'll get it. We'll get into it. And that's one of the things, hey, when we when it does happen, we are going to be interviewing uh, one of the Rangers uh, at our event. And one of my questions is, what does it take to maintain a park like this? And that will be a very relevant question. Will that be Walker, at that time. Walker, Texas Ranger? I'm not playing this game with you. Okay, sorry. Okay. Hey, <laughs> big thanks to our Patreon supporters. Yay! Go you guys. Pat yeah. yourselves on the back right now. But especially to all of our listeners. Um, I want to ask a favor. I do this every now and then. Hey, tell somebody about our show. Give us a review on whatever listening device you use, you know, from uh, iTunes doesn't happen anymore. Apple or Stitcher or wherever you listen. Share our social media posts. You, you do realize there are people who listen to our podcast via a mahogany radiogram on their sideboard. Okay, we're no, we're we're, we're getting, getting silly. Out. <laughs> no, the lost lost it. All right, <laughs> big thanks to all of our listeners and especially our guests who come to visit. We love it when you visit. So, Put up with our nonsense. So come on down. All right, let's get out of here. Go to motorcyclesandmisfits.com. You'll find links to everything there, and uh, yeah. it's rich with information. Exactly. So ready to get out of here. Thanks, everyone. This is Liza. Stubby John. Emma Darling! Bagel. And we are out of here. Cool, cool, cool. cool. cool.